Hey, what's up, you wild and wonderful people? Today my guest is, well, actually, I don't have a guest today. I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Richard Vixinic. It was great having him in the studio today to get down into the nitty-gritty on the cellular level. And in fact, yeah, it gets, it gets quite heady today, but I think we did a great job breaking it down because it is a super important topic to rewilding. Why? Well, I'll say this. The key to health lies in our evolutionary biology, specifically in our mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell that produces the energy for our bodies to function. The number of mitochondria and the efficiency of energy production are directly linked to aging and longevity. So, cool stuff. Again, why important to rewilding? Well, the more robust the mitochondria, the slower the aging and the more long-lived the individual will be. How we can generate the best functioning mitochondria is from a process called hormesis, which just so happens to be built in to so many rewilding practices and a rewilding lifestyle. So it is important and relevant to us here because not only healthy mitochondria function is linked to longevity, but also because modern civilization is weakening us at the cellular level. So I think it's a super important topic. I think we lay down great groundwork here for further discussion on this to bring in other guests and that but yeah Richard and I kind of wanted to bite off you know this one episode here in this greater topic of evolutionary biology and kind of set the stage and I kind of go back in through our evolutionary story or how's how it's being currently told um and yeah and break down things like so so air fire water earth ether these are the things we evolved from and the illusion of separation today from these elements is, I believe, making us sick. It's making ourselves sick. It's, you know, we're cooped up in stuffy buildings. As a culture, we're sitting all day. We're drinking water, you know, with small amounts of chlorine, in some cases fluoride. And, you know, we're not exposing our skin and our body to a range of temperatures that the season provide us with. And, you know, as Richard points out, we're literally sitting on the couch ordering Uber Eats, walking to the door, and grabbing food that is basically brand new to ourselves. So go figure, we're kind of stuck with this modern-day epidemic of different health problems and things of such. So I learned a lot today, as I always do when chatting with Richard. I learned the importance of melatonin as an you know important antioxidant that can help build resist resilience at a cellular level. And uh, yeah, learned a whole lot, and we talked a whole lot about building resilience on that cellular level. So um, next week, we're actually, or I'm, we are going to be releasing a nice compliment to today's episode. So I've got Richard back in studio, and we dive all into sauna and how to develop a healthy relationship with the fire element. So it was a great episode. This one, I think this show here, guys, is probably the last show with very low volume. I am apologizing for that right now um, this intro probably sounds a lot louder you might have to turn this down or, or rather turn it up once the show starts just so you know um, but I've got that all figured out now and uh, yeah other than that if you guys want to stay up on all episodes that are coming up down the pipeline head over to rewildmybio.com please and thank you and sign up for the newsletter um, got the second newsletter coming out here and I mean I appreciate everybody who's already signed up in that next newsletter, I'm going to be sending out a bonus 30-minute guided meditation 
with the elements. So again, air, fire, water, earth, and ether. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, head over to the website and sign up for the newsletter so we can stay connected in that weird online way. And then we can go get offline and go connect to nature. And then we're still connected. So, you know, connected all different ways. Really cool stuff. But anyways, in that newsletter, I'm also going to always be sharing my PhD research into wilderness-based therapy and nature connection. So if you're interested in getting the newest literature or the stuff that I think is cool anyways, um, sent right to you in your email, then yeah, sign up for that newsletter. But anyways, speaking too much here, I should wrap this up. I've actually got some school stuff. I've got some papers to mark. I've got some midterms to proctor. Um, yeah, fun stuff. And of course, papers to write. So anyways, living my best life here on this earthly dimension, no doubt. And I hope you guys are too. And I also hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self-help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Sean. Yeah, here we are again uh, in the studio. This time we're going to get into a wonderful story, I think, as, as I would like to think about it. It is the story of evolution and why I think that's important, why we think that's important anyways here. If we can uh, kind of call attention to this crazy story that started about one and a half billion years ago, to be exact, when there was so much poisonous gas in the atmosphere that nothing could survive. And that poisonous gas was oxygen. It was just in such heavy concentrations that nothing on the earth would survive, essentially, until these ancient bacterium one day learned how to take oxygen and create energy out of it, which is essentially how the story begins. And it took about a billion years for, boom, us humans, which Homo sapiens as I guess we're called still. Are we still Homo sapiens? I think so. I I'm just wondering if we're like domestic, like if we become so like domesticated that our genes have changed, which I've, I think I've heard argued before. So yeah, maybe and there's a, sh a bit of a shift going on. There's a bit of a shift, but anyways, about two hundred thousand years ago, kaboom, the human or the Homo sapien, uh, exi we existed. Boom, there we are. So, anyways, that's uh, that's kind of why I think this is an important story because how we evolved our evolutionary biology is important. To know, I think, if we want to maintain good health, and if we, I mean, I guess in the sense of rewilding, or at least this is one reason why I think it's important, it is important, is because to rewild, we're kind of returning to that wild state. So I don't know if, uh, if you got anything specific as to why you think it's important to kind of talk mitochondria. I know, obviously, professionally speaking, you obviously probably have reasons you'd like to see people functioning very well with, or their, their mitochondria functioning well. Um, but yeah, what are some reasons you think is, this is an important topic and kind of foundational to rewilding? Um, well, it, I think there's a lot of layers to it. Um, we're going pretty reductionist here. I know. Sure, right off the hop. Right well, now. I don't know. Yeah, we, I guess I guess we are. You're right. <laughs> we're going right into the nitty gritty of the cell. Yeah, we'll, the we'll get our brains organelle. working. It's late, but we've had some uh, we've had some tea, beverages, and things to to wake us up. So yeah, we've got some herbs. 
Yeah, our mitochondria is starting to fire up here. Yep, exactly. Um, well, the mitochondria is something that uh, is really the basis of our uh, of our cellular health. Um, and if our mitochondria is healthy, our cells are healthy, our tissues and organs are healthy, and us as an entire organism, as human beings, right. are healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm noticing, and just from the literature or working with people in clinic, is that there's so much... Uh, illness and dysfunction that is rooted in mitochondria not functioning well. Right. Uh, and it's kind of like a twofold thing, or at least twofold. One is that um, our disconnection from nature and natural rhythms and processes are lending one to the degradation of our mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So, through like toxicity and pollution, for example but also that our removal from some of the U stressors, EU stressors, like good stressors, that give our mitochondria and our cells and our organism and our mind and spirit resilience, Mm -hmm. we're also separated from those more so. So it's kind of like this double whammy. Right, right? exactly. And like you say, I mean, it's it's so important to have healthy functioning mitochondria because we're going to perform better, we're going to be more efficient physically, mentally, and all of that, right? And I think, uh, yeah, it's just super important to to have op- optimal functioning, I think, in this day and age. We were always resilient, I guess, if you're going back to the wild. Like you said, we had these stressors coming in, so we were resilient to some degree, but now we're starting to lose that resilience, essentially, because we're, you know, taking ourselves out of that habitat. We're not interacting with our environment the same. So, yeah, no, I definitely think that... Um, well, let's let's go back to that story, even because, yeah, as you as you pointed out, it's it's quite reductionist, and I I kind of want to throw this in there, as to why I think it's important to talk about mitochondrial health from an energetic standpoint, or from, I guess, looking at the current times and looking at how our mitochondria DNA is actually passed down from our mothers through the egg, mm-hmm. so, um, I guess it's interesting to see how important, or it is interesting that you know, mitochondria health is so important. We need energy to do just about anything. Like our, our whole lung, heart, uh, blood system is essentially created so that we can create energy from oxygen, essentially, right? So this is a very important process going way back. These mitochondria are kind of running the show. And I guess where I'm going with the female energy in the current times is that I, I feel that it's interesting that this these mitochondria, which are essentially our feminine energy or that divine feminine energy is kind of what's calling running the show. And in this day and age, we're kind of seeing a, uh, you know, a a resurgence of like the matriarchy, if you will, or like a a death of the patriarchy. So I just think it's interesting that we're science is kind of uncovering this stuff at the same time that we're seeing a shift in our culture. Right. So it's kind of why I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about from a rewilding standpoint because obviously this show is going much deeper than just say lighting fires with a bow drill we're kind of keen on the idea of or i'm kind of keen on the idea of rewilding the soul and uncaging the soul and that divine feminine energy right now is kind of seeing an uptick so i just think it's interesting is all i don't know i don't know if you find any correlation or if that's interesting or if i'm just getting way too far weird no no i think it's uh really interesting i have a a background in comparative literature too and so my brain likes this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that return to mother earth 
yeah, thing right. that's going on and what we're talking about in terms of rewilding, right? Mm-hmm. And um, sort of this return to the maternal, the nitty gritty of our cellular uh, biology, right? Or physiology, right? So right. Um, I think those mirror each other quite uh, beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, and I think do- like it's it's just neat because I think when we think about evolution, we think about like survival of the fittest. I think Darwin's message. I mean, Darwin's message was is grossly misinterpreted because it was always the survival of the fittest. And from that, I think at least in Western culture, we praise the competition piece, which there's a lot more collaboration. Um, and I'm even looking at like networks of mycelium and the way trees in a forest communicate. If someone's not getting enough sun, another tree. Like I mean, if someone, if one tree is not getting enough sun. Um, maybe the other trees around it might open up for it to kind of take on a certain area or a certain canopy in the forest. So I just think it's neat because, yeah, with the divine feminine energy in that, um, I think there's a lot more collaboration and cooperation in nature than than we actually think. Yeah, I think that uh, through studies of the mitochondria and studies of the microbiome, so all the bugs in our guts and that, and we're really seeing that symbiosis has really been a driving factor in evolution you know from the most basic cell prokaryotes into you know Mm -hmm. human beings and all the multitude of mammals and things that live on this earth it's a lot of symbiosis and so so going back to this whole notion of the mitochondria i think before we get too far into it we should Mm -hmm. probably just quickly describe what mitochondria are right um really Basically, mitochondria are these little organelles, organelle being like this really diminutive or um, small wording, right? So making some, like organ, organelle. So it's like right. a small little organ. So it's like a cellular organ, essentially, right? And so a mitochondria is in the nucleus of the cell, and it's where our cells produce something called ATP, which is essentially the fuel source for cellular metabolism and function. Right. So if we don't have good mitochondria producing ATP and energy, then our cells are not functioning. And then everything sort of goes, I guess, downstream from there or upstream, right. whatever way you want to look at it. Right. We need cellular energy to create tissues, organs, and organisms. Right. So that's why we're talking about reductionists because we're going into this little organelle. We're going like from this sort of cosmic sort of perspective yeah. things and going into, you know, minutia of the cell. But again, it's so important that that is working in that way that we evolved with it because when it's not, I mean, certain mitochondria, say in your liver cell, for example, they're going to help detoxify things like ammonia and all different things that you're – so if they're not functioning well, then other systems of the body are going to back up, right? So it is – it's a lot more holistic view, I think, that the way that we're looking at mitochondria health than say – well, I wouldn't even really know this, but my assumption is then say you're a standard conventional like Western medical doctor. I think this is a a holistic – understanding of mitochondria health because um i I just think sometimes we specialize going back to that reductionist piece i think uh at least as i understand it western medicine and medical doctors would kind of reduce it down to like oh now you got to go see a liver doctor and they wouldn't necessarily look at the body in a holistic way so still still quite a holistic i guess way that we're looking at it because it's important to make sure that you're not um lacking i guess in in function in any one and you're tying it into the divine feminine and the cosmos so. yeah right exactly i'm trying to yeah philosophically yeah. speaking i'm trying to tighten it up like always like i yeah. always try to do so so that's the, sort of the the gist of the mitochondria um but then going back to this whole idea of symbiotic relationships so uh, symbiosis meaning you know sort of working in 
uh, unison, working together. Like I do this for, you know, I do something and as an offshoot of what I do, it benefits you and you do something and as an offshoot of that, it benefits me. Mm-hmm. So it's a symbiotic relationship. So like tree roots uh, put out certain sugars that mycelium need to survive and then the mycelium feedback nutrients and build soil for the, the trees, right. right? So that's symbiosis. Right. And so if we go right back to like the wild origins of mitochondria, we're looking at, you know, these cells floating around in the ocean and evolutionary mm, speak right. here. Yep. Um, and they're like these cells that don't have these organelles in them. They're just these prokaryotes that are just floating around. And this bacteria comes along and says, hey, what's up? What are you doing? I'm kind of cold and hungry out here. Can I come on in? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry too. Yeah. So basically this um, this cell kind of engulfs right. uh, this yeah, bacteria, right? And so this is this whole theory is called the endosymbiotic theory. So it's basically this one cell engulfs a okay. bacteria that sets up residency in the in the cytoplasm of that cell, or in that cell, not in the cytoplasm. But um, really, this relationship then starts to develop where that bacteria is supplied energy is supplying energy to the host cell in exchange for a stable and protected environment. Right. Right. So um, and a constant supply of nutrients. So all of a sudden, they're kind of, I'll give you some oxygen, you give me some protection and some nutrients, and then boom. Right. We have a whole new kind of cell, known as eukaryotes, right, which are basically have cytoplasm and nuclei and now mitochondria, which are essentially repurposed bacteria. So right. everything that drives our in- entire physiology from an energy perspective and our biology is a hijacked bacterium. Right. right? Exactly. So... That's a symbiotic relationship that had that really didn't have to do with a uh, competitive drive necessarily. Exactly, yeah. No, and again, it's just it's very interesting that we're at least in Western medicine now starting to look at bacteria and the origins of health and disease coming or stemming from how your bacteria and your microbiome are actually functioning. So again, just yet another interesting thing that we're seeing kind of all come to light right now. And yeah, like our, our human cells are full of these mitochondria, right? Like 1,000 to 2,000 mitochondria per cell and things like your brain, your retina, your heart, all these very important organs, they've even got upwards around like 10,000 mitochondria per cell. So yeah, obviously very, very important stuff. And I mean, essentially they're like the batteries of our body, like mm-hmm. which I think is really neat. So we're looking at them as like a, from a bacteria standpoint as we evolved with them, but essentially they're also like little electromagnetic jumper like little batteries i guess little engines for our body essentially so that's also pretty cool but um yeah i don't know i mean is there anything else in in regards to the history i think of say mitochondria or how we evolved with them before we start to get into i think it'd be important to know you know what dysfunction looks like or what dysfunction can cause yeah so yeah i think that that kind of paints a story of where where we think this all started you know we don't know what bacteria it was necessarily and all that sort of stuff which for me, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, but there's guys out there devoting their research lives to that. So yeah, that's right. Cool. That is crazy to think how yeah. far back you could start to trace some of this stuff, like talking right. about certain methods of science. It kind of makes my head spin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction is certainly worth talking about because we, mm-hmm. I think we've done our diligence here in sort of painting the picture of how important proper or mitochondrial function is to right. our energy and well-being 
Um, basically, mitochondrial dysfunction is a major driving force, if not the common denominator in most uh, or underlying mechanism in most chronic disease it states. Is. Right? Um, at least that's what is really emerging over the last decade, and that's what a lot of us naturopaths right. really think and functional medicine doctors think, and, and the, you know, it's becoming you know, really embedded in the uh, literature too. Right. Well, even it, it's, it's, it's trickling right down. So for me in the way I normally digest like, you know, health things all new, uh, obviously as a health researcher, but coming from the fitness industry as well, um, I always kind of look at things from that end and it's even becoming like more well-known in the fitness industry that like, obviously your ability to produce energy is going to depend on how hard you work your personal training clients, say, for example, right. right? So if there's, like, food intolerances or any, like, stress or hormonal issues where energy production might be a thing, uh, at least I would hope that, you know, in this day and age, I think it's starting to become more well-known that you don't drive your personal training client into the ground, so to speak. Right. Yeah. So well, that's an example of how it's kind of shifting Yeah. sort of that mainstream thing, too. Um, so basically, if, if you're looking at dysfunction, mitochondria either are not working particularly well or we don't have as many in our cells, or they're smaller, less efficient, um, then we see a lower energy state. We see loss of resilience, and we see things like accelerated aging. Mm-hmm. You know, And the thing here is that there's no magic bullet to sort of prop up your mitochondria, right? We're talking how many, what, billion-something right. years of evolution, and it's all kind of going to shit real quick here. Right. So, um, But we're getting some insights here, and that's part of this rewilding thing. Like how well. do we... How do we light the fire under that mitochondria? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the interesting part, too, because you could go either way. I mean, I guess things like stem cell injections would be like one way through, you know, using modern scientific technological advances. But then there's other things like just sitting at the base of a tree or going out and exchanging some ions down by a beach or something like that and kind of uh, doing it through a more naturalistic way. So, yeah, I think it's a really it's a really cool topic. Um, yeah, did you have anything else in that regard on? Um, well, just yeah, just talking about what drives this this uh, this dysfunction, right? Mm-hmm. And I I, th- I touched on it earlier. Um, it's sort of this twofold disconnection from natural rhythm, and uh, so part of that is you know all the crap that's floating around in our environment, right? In our water, in our air, in our food. Mm-hmm. So it's this toxicity and this exposure that really creates a lot of oxidative damage in our cells specifically in the mitochondria. Right. Uh, but then there's also that disconnection from those rhythms and stimuli that enhance mitochondrial health. So I think we can break it down and talk about both of those things, right? Okay, so right. some of the things like oxidative ja- damage. So basically when there's an imbalance in the cell uh, mitochondria in our bodies between you know, um, oxidants and cellular antioxidants, right? So okay. pollutants and... Right. Um, Phenols or polyphenols from fruits and vegetables, vegetables. right? Like we have to have a balance there to quench all these free radicals and stuff because if we don't, then it's really starting to disrupt a lot of these pathways that produce that ATP that uh, give the mitochondria juice. Right, essentially. And now, I mean, these things too, like, is it, you you touched on aging there, how it can actually speed up aging, but throughout aging isn't, is it inevitable to some degree that we'll um, start to lose mitochondrial efficiency? as we age or is it something more so as, as of like say life saw that you can, well, Sean, we all die. Well, we all, that's what I, that's what I was kind of getting at with this whole idea of like, do we want to live forever? Or I mean, in nature, yes, we all do die. So, I mean, I guess it is kind of a natural process. And it's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. But at what, you know, 
But at what rate? Well, you know, when I have patients coming in and, and they're they're achy and fatigued and they're like 52 or 48 and then, you know, their doc's like, oh, it's just you're getting old, right? I'm right. like, yeah, well, yeah, you're getting older, but hmm. do you, do you want to live with a little more energy? Do you want to feel like right. shit all the time? Yeah. Like, so we've equated age with, you know, everything hurting and sucking, right. basically. Um, and we can delay that exactly degrees right well and that's the reason why i asked too looking at like weston a price uh research and that like seeing men and women well into their 70s still doing the physical labor in their villages and stuff right and i think that's just it we have this perception in the west right now that um oh i'm just getting old it's just you know i'm tired things don't work the same Mm -hmm. as they used to and uh yeah i just don't necessarily buy it so that's kind of the why i wanted to go back and at least yeah touch on the uh, aging piece but yeah the aging piece so just looking at some numbers here Basically, from the age of 20 to 70, we generally lose up to 70% of the mitochondria in our bodies, oh, our really? cells. Okay. And so that's 70% in that 50 years. And those 30% that are left over aren't going to be like the strongest, most optimal mitochondria, right? They're going right. to be all like shriveled Eek. little raisins right. kind of thing. And there's a 50% decrease from 20 years of age to 40. And then another 50 from... 40 to 70. So it so, kind of progresses there as you get a little bit older then. Yeah. So you always hear it growing up. Right? When I, I'm like, I'm over 40 now. And I always heard, right. oh man, watch out when you hit 40. Yeah. And it was like a switch. It was yeah. like, oh, why? Oh, I didn't have this pain before. What's going on? So it's really interesting that that's showed up in, in some of that uh, right. research, right? It's like, okay. So it does hurt to be 40 if you're just kind of ticking along. And right. um, kind of just sponging up all of these things that are building are, are contributing to that dysfunction. Right. So we talked about like the toxins and the pollutants, mm-hmm. but there's sort of like this combined stress load on our systems, right? And so that is right. psycho-emotional stressors, it's poor diet, poor sleep patterns, right. poor gut health, and aging, and the pollutants and all that stuff. Right. So that's where we see that acceleration. So it's really about this total burden is one thing. Right. Yeah. So exactly. So there, so therefore, then there's. It sounds like there are there are many things that we can do to kind of stave off this natural decline in inefficient mitochondria by getting good sleep, by drinking the right types of water, and kind of again realigning or reconnecting the way we do certain things uh, with nature, or more in line with what would be clean and pure from say the wild, right? So um, right. yeah, I mean, I guess before we get into that, any other specifics that I think or maybe that you've seen as far as lifestyle wise, like stress or hormones that are like alarming, say in practice that you've seen that are, you think anyways, are, you know, to blame, not to say to blame, but um, an, a, a big cause of mitochondria dysfunction. Oh, I don't know. Um, well, again, I don't, we can't, it's that to- total burden. It's a total right? burden, It's what's yeah. a person's resilience and stuff right. like that. Well, right? I guess I was getting into, like, with in this day and age, and I guess it would be maybe something for someone maybe who's been practicing medicine or natural medicine for a very long time is seen, like, with, like, glyphosate and things mm-hmm. like that. that. Like, the more, these more evasive and, uh, like, strong chemicals that are out there nowadays, I just wondered if those are starting to have more wear and tear than... Yeah, I wonder about to. that, and and again, I don't think it's any one thing. I think the glyphosates are likely playing a significant role. Mm-hmm. I th- we're gaining a pretty good, uh, you know, we're getting there and understanding right. that they're wrecking the microbiome yeah, of the our guts. Yeah, the stuff's made to just kill absolutely everything. So glyphosate right. being what's in Roundup, if you're unfamiliar. So, um, right. but yeah, so I mean, it, but again, it's 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 almost everywhere, and it's was made to kill 
things, right? Right. Essentially. So yeah, it, it's kind of I think just doing just that, and it's it's kind of everywhere, water so, streams, and yeah, tying into that question of like, so I could sit here and sort of you know wave the angry flag against glyphosate, mm-hmm. and, and and I think we should have frank discussions about that stuff, um, right? But just to reduce it down to one thing is challenging or uh, limiting. But mm-hmm. um, you know, when I first started practice, uh, you know, there's all this talk about the burdens, right, that I've already brought up. So the glyphosate or, you know, the food intolerances, don't eat this, don't expose yourself to that, clean your water, detox this, and all that sort of stuff. And that's important. We have to do that sort of work. But it's kind of only half the picture, maybe three quarters, whatever. So I used to do a lot of that, Mm -hmm. you know, detoxing stuff earlier in my career. And it, it doesn't have, if I just approach it that way, it doesn't seem to have the same impact as it did even a decade ago. Oh, so really? what, what is different, right? Interesting. Is it, is it the glyphosate? Is it, uh, we're starting to see more cumulative burden cumulative of things, burden, yeah. uh, more screen time, more disconnection from natural rhythms, less of that. Right. So w- what's really come into, uh, sort of on the radar for me is, um, and, a, and a lot of people who are doing, uh, working with people in a holistic manner is, um, is the whole resilience piece. Right. And that's another part in and around, mitochondrial health right? Right. so mitochondrial health is affected by all of these toxins oxidative stress and damage yes but where's the resilience in them to to, to respond to these stressors right. right and that resilience is lower so shifting the focus towards building more resilience because that lack of resilience also leads to mitochondrial dysfunction right right so again just doing things that um are going to help us maybe even uh shed off some unwanted cells or like mitochondria, right? So the whole, I think there's a lot of uh, lifestyle practices one can do nowadays that are going to help things like cell autophagy, right? So the killing off or the partial killing off of certain parts of cells that are no longer needed. And that's a natural cycle that we want to have in nature, right? So um, I don't know if you want to say anything more to that or like, because I know there's cell autophagy, then there's apoptosis, which I believe is the complete death of a cell, right? Which is also an important role for mitochondria to kind of oversee this death and regrowth process. So once things are sick, we want them to die off because otherwise they can turn into some dysfunction down the road, essentially. Right. And that's sort of like an immune function, like natural killer cells. And so that starts to become an extension of all of that, right? And so recognizing what cells are really not viable anymore, cleaning them up, get rid of them. Right. right? And we're also sort of losing some of that capacity or some people do. Mm -hmm. Um, but so yeah, what, what ways can we then, I guess, build resilience? Then? Yeah, so a lot of this lack of resilience it comes from this sort of modern age that we're in. We're detached mm-hmm. from natural cycles, sleep-wake cycles. Um, we have a pile of modern-day stressors, um, you know, and that's a double whammy. That's right. less resilience right there. Um, so, you know, we're seeing more and more studies out there showing that, hey, nature connection can increase your resilience to stress because yeah. not only are you removing yourself in some cases from, you know, pollution, noise pollution, light pollution, 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 but you're also um, decreasing uh, certain stressors like cortisol and that sort of stuff where your body has a chance to to rebound. So that's that's an important piece is kind of how do we reconnect to those things? Well, that's the thing too with mitochondria dysfunction. You just said about cortisol. I know with mitochondria dysfunction, um, your body's going to look to create energy in the easiest way possible if your cells aren't. So by your body's going to become more accustomed to essentially burning sugar for energy and turning that into glucose, which can kind of disrupt your whole metabolic function 
which obviously isn't a good thing. I know it's kind of like a long-winded way of kind of tying into metabolic disease, but yeah, I mean, all the way down the down the line there, it essentially... Well, we're talking about cellular metabolism, so that's right. metabolic. So. And so, yeah, so that's obviously this, the release of insulin is also going to raise cortisol levels, and that's going to, yeah, keep you kind of in that fight-or-flight mm-hmm. state. So you're kind of getting into the... I think, I mean, I had asked you earlier if there's any one thing, but yeah, looking at like the stress piece in whichever way that comes from. So I don't know if we can maybe spend some time. Let's actually, maybe that's something we should do is spend some time talking about different things. Maybe people could reduce to help build resiliency. So one thing that I'm thinking of, which I don't even have on right now, it's late. I had my, I had my blue light blocking glasses on, right. but just thinking about light therapy and the types of light that you're getting mm-hmm. and how we could maybe, um, I guess for one is yeah. Changing the amount of blue light that we're getting in a day. Yeah. That's one thing because really that's, going back to those cycles of the circadian rhythm and the cues that we take from nature from light and dark, right? Right. So you're talking about autophagy before, which is basically, um, you know, during the day we're running around, we're collecting nuts and seeds and fruits and we're hunting and we're doing all this stuff back in the day. And then we, the sun goes down and we sleep. And, but when we're doing all that stuff during the day, you know, we're using energy. Our cells are, you know, just like anything, any sort of mechanism, right. Mechanism things start to break down. And so at the end of the day, you have little broken bits and pieces, so to speak. And when you're sleeping, this autophagy takes over and sort of like, it's like the scrapyard. It recycles and cleans up and and fixes up and, and those cells uh, essentially regenerate when you're sleeping. It's the night shift basically coming in. We, your body's always working, right? So cleaning up. Yeah, for sure. And so if we're getting these cues of staring at our screens all night, getting these, these blue lights sort of tricking our, pineal gland tricking our sleep weight cycles then our sleep suffers and exactly. then that recycling crew doesn't really do its its thing right that's just it and that's why i personally like wearing the blue light blocking glasses because it is my nature my job to be researching things on my computer so when i'm doing that late at night i find that yeah i can get a much deeper sleep and i use an aura ring to kind of test my sleep and I find that it comes it comes in waves, but I get more deep sleep when I wear my uh, mm-hmm. blue light blocking glasses yeah. on the regular. And that's because the blue light that comes from our screens is essentially suppressing melatonin production. Right. And therefore, I'm not able to kind of get into those deeper, deeper sleep. Uh, yeah, in, in the deep sleep. So um, in regards to light, I don't know if um, one thing, well, one thing I want to chat about was saunas. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of getting more into... Uh, well, I guess on it. Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to sort of touch base on first before, yeah, sure. right? Because we're talking about what can we avoid, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of going back a couple of steps mm-hmm. in terms of, yeah, detoxifying, not exposing ourselves to pollutants, et cetera. Okay. Uh, but then there's whole, this whole notion, um, there was this MD who put out a bit of a, a book a few years back, uh, Robert Naveau. I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but basically he calls something that cell danger response, right? So he describes how the mitochondria, they produce energy, but that they can also uh, sense stress and danger. So cortisol, toxins, whatever. Um, And this shifts the mitochondria into a defensive mode, right? And so it's in defense mode and it's not producing energy. Interesting. So it's these, so it's in a defensive mode, right? Which is basically a micro version of what our nervous systems are doing when we're under threat. We kind of go into this sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze response. Uh, we disengage from the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest, digest, bond, and heal part of our right. nervous system. And so 
you know, it's again well, that again, double whammy. Just look at the you're you're saying that mitochondria dysfunction is everywhere, and a lot of people are agreeing that it's kind of the root of all disease and dysfunction right now. And you look, you look at how defensive the Western culture is again. I'm just bringing right. it back into our times and just seeing how defensive we all very much are. Walls, you know, in the era of building walls and such, right? Right. So, um, just very interesting. And I guess you know, it's funny because I I think we we often like. I often make it sound like I poo-poo on uh, Western culture, but I mean, I'm only doing that to kind of show um, from a for from a critical standpoint to create social change. We're we're looking at the cultural level, right? And so by looking outside or looking back to say indigenous cultures or the way other cultures, Eastern philosophies do things, we can benefit and we can create good social change. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's so, what, yeah. you always kind of kind of. Zoom into the micro, zoom out to the macro, right? And it's just yeah, like, it's that's interesting as all. Well. Just getting different, yeah, getting different perspectives and not getting so again locked down in the reductionist way. Um, there's other ways we can go about healing uh, uh, mitochondria dysfunction, I guess, and and by and by zooming out, right, and right. focusing on those things too. So, anyways, that's just something I wanted to touch on. Yeah, and so with that whole question of like, oh, what do we do? What do we avoid? So we want to talk about this whole concept of. Um, basically something called hormesis, right? So it's this, it's a process where we have like a mild or really acute temporary stressor that increases resistance to other stressors and increases the health and resilience vitality of an organism, right? right? So hormesis is like a little hit of stress. It's kind of like, you know, doing your curls and getting exactly, your yeah. biceps stronger yeah. kind of thing, right? Yep, exactly. So just really stimulating these beneficial adaptations, and this is happening, this happens on a, a mitochondrial level. Right? And that's just it. I've had so many, I'm thinking back to my personal training days and had so many clients who had fibromyalgia mm-hmm. and it's so painful to move, but it's so f- interesting anyways that the exact medicine for those individuals is to get up and move, right? To get the body moving and getting the cell to be able to produce energy yet right. again. So, And it's it's one of the things that you can do. So exercise right. is yeah. a, a perfect example right. it's, of it's, that it's, hormesis. It's, it's right? just a good stress, but it's it's planned stress, right? Um, and I mean, this is what we do nowadays because we aren't living in the wild and having that like sudden tiger in the bush kind of come out to eat you so you have to right. run short distances. Nowadays, we know that, yeah, some good stress. So I think to finish or to follow along with that line of thinking is that, say, high interval, uh, high intensity interval training would be the way to go if you're looking to train your mitochondria to become more efficient rather than say like a long steady state cardio type routine. So anything that would more so mimic that fast uh, sprints or like bursts of energy, lifting heavy things, um, doing things in short bursts would be a lot better uh, for your mitochondria than say doing the long distance running. So yeah, yeah, that's one, that's one thing of one. Yeah. One of the things of on my list anyways, for things to do, but yeah, you were, as we're talking about, yeah introducing little bits of stress i think that's just probably one of the best ways yeah totally because our ancestors are cruising around they're foraging hunting you know they're they're bathing in a cold river or lake right yeah, all right. those sorts of things um and so basically we were programmed to adapt to those stressors and really thrive with them and if right. we don't engage those types of stressors then our biology suffers right. essentially right so most you know most of us today or not most of us a lot of oh, yeah. people today are like getting on the phone Calling up Uber Eats, right? Getting off their couch, going to the door, grabbing their Uber Eats, sitting on the couch and eating it. Yeah, so true. And even beyond that, like seventy percent of Canadians, and I think the the stats are around the same in in the United States, aren't meeting the recommended 
moderate, uh, excuse me, moderate to vigorous physical activity guidelines. Right. And then even those who are a lot of times, again, are kind of engaged in like a same, the same routine over and over again. So there's no new stressor. So even like a lot of people aren't getting these stressors, even when we think we're getting the stressors, right? But even from a climate perspective, everyone's in their air conditioned, heated house. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we're not getting those little uh, hits. Um, and then the whole light thing, right? The whole exposure to exactly. uh, light during our nighttime hours and then being inside all day long, staring at a screen, not getting um, sort of sunlight. And so we're, we're missing some pieces here when we're not exactly. in our, you know, in our wilder elements. Exactly. And I mean, that's, I think, why I touched upon this in the uh, like first episode as to what is rewilding and kind of brought up this term of wild hacking because I truly do think um, that it's almost next to impossible for individuals to get back in touch with nature in such a way that we can truly make a big dent to clean up some of that accumulated stress on our like mitochondria health. Um, I really do think that technology is important depending on the individual, I guess, and where they're at in their health journey. If they have, uh, you know, a sickness that they're dealing with all the more power to probably using some, more powerful technologies, but at the same time, kind of obviously adapting and more naturalistic, you know, approach as well. Yeah. As far as like technologies go from sort of how do we initiate sort of this hormesis, right? right. How do we get this, um, you know, our, <laughs> our cellular antioxidant defense system to sort of perk up yes. and grow stronger is, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, I mean, technology helps like a, well, sa- a sauna, so a sauna, <laughs> an infrared sauna is, is a, is a technology and they're fantastic. Right. Yeah, they're amazing. exactly. Oh yeah, they are. Right. I'm coming over your house as soon as you get yours. There you go. Yeah. So, and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So well to get my sauna. All right. Not, not for me to come over. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but you're right though. Like certain things like that are going to be great. Now there's obviously ones that are quite silly, like looking at like a cryotherapy chamber when you could just go buy a bag of ice and throw it in your bathtub. Right. Right. So, and I mean much more, I think it's a lot better too, because you're getting actual contact with your skin. Right. Plus you're dealing with the water element, which has, you know, negative ions essentially. So you're kind of getting a double-edged whammy for your mitochondria in that you're getting the cold, which is going to help with the hormesis and the, you know, cell autophagy and whatnot. But then you're also getting, uh, you're getting the actual, uh, gosh, I lost my train of thought there. What was I going to say? About ions or something? Yeah, the neg- yeah, that's right. The negative ions from the water. Right. So double-edged sword. So you're kind of de-stressing. I like thinking, yeah, so I mean, we didn't... Um, so I don't think we have to rely too heavy on on the technology. I think the technology, right. what's serving us is like the technology in the means of studying mitochondria scientifically. Mm-hmm. You know, we require certain ways of assessing that. Um, you know, and, and having the convenience of a uh, infrared sauna in a home, for example. But yeah, a bag of ice in the bathtub is helpful. Getting up and, you know, getting a, a, a light that, mimics the sunlight and, and getting some exposure right. first 15 minutes in the morning kind of thing. That's you, technology, but right. it's not crazy technology or just getting outside in the sun for 15 minutes in the morning. Exactly. If right. If there is ever sun. If there is sun. Yeah. You know. Depends on where you live. Right. So yeah, yeah, again, some of these technologies obviously being very important depending, I think on your individual basis or your individual right. need, I guess. Right. So, um, well, one thing I was going to go off and say there is with the whole negative ion. And I, I sometimes think about, the feeling I get when I sit at the base of a tree and journal long enough or just sit there and meditate or say if I'm hunting and sitting in a tree stand trying to really connect with the tree, I can't help but always think of, you know, those little like cell phone chargers that you just put your phone on top and it right. charges your phone. I kind of think like that's what that's mm-hmm. basically like. Like I'm the phone and I'm just getting charged as I'm sitting at the base of a tree. I think that's a great analogy right? yeah. because that helps people 
And that's just it. We, do, we don't people need... people think it's actually real by sitting by a tree because if it works <laughs> now, on the phone, it must, maybe it does oh, work on a tree. That's where I'm going with this stuff is because I think that we often turn, and I'm, and I'm guilty for it, being, you know, very much uh, my upbringing, like coming through business school and that, I'm very much like uh, a left-brainer. I very much had, you know, all hail to materialistic science in my younger days. And it wasn't until really getting into my PhD and starting to understand like the limits on certain kinds of reductionist science and what that whole, what philosophy essentially meant. Um, that yeah, I was able to start kind of changing my perspective on that. But anyways, um, what else we got down the, on the pipeline there for, uh, things we can do to limit. Uh, I've got one in particular around, uh, just keeping like DHA levels up would be helpful for overall cell function. Mm-hmm. And so things like seafood and, and anchovies. So DHA um, meaning, uh, Omega-3 fatty acids. Yes, omega-3 so fatty yeah. acids. Yeah, that's where I was going with this. So, yeah, that's having that. And, and it, yeah, so and it's, again, it's important to protect overall cell health because cell, I mean, the cells essentially themselves are made of fat. Is that well, correct or not cell membrane fat, is like basically membrane. like a phospholipid bilayer, which is a fancy way of saying okay. there's a, there's like think of these little tadpoles in your cell membrane, like right. a fatty head and a watery tail. Right. And uh, really sort of the gatekeepers of what's coming into the cell, or not the gatekeepers, but sort of like the the catalyst for what, you know, I see. receiving what's coming into the cell right. and getting things out of the cell. So you really want that membrane to be made up of good fat, good not fats, right, not yes. French fry fat. Exactly, right? So all the processed foods and things like that, that's why I kind of wanted to, and I know things like, yeah, like salmon roe are obviously, it's not something that I, I'm just thinking of foods back in the wild. I, mm. I really enjoy cooking with different parts of fish, and I do love salmon roe if I go for sushi or mm. wherever I can get my hands on some some good caviar. It's like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy that, so... Some of these foods that we may have often eaten in the wild that we don't see any, we don't normally see, um, yeah, are really good for our mitochondria. Yes. Fish being one of them, for sure. Yep, fish being one. Um, water, obviously, is, is super important, and we didn't really touch on that, but, um, yeah, obviously making sure we're getting, like, clean sources of water. I think that's important. Um, using things like a reverse osmosis filter or um, even structured water. I, I know I've asked you this before, but... You've, have you ever gotten into any structured water units or anything like that? Or um, I know you use. A I kind of got roped into one a few years back, and oh, I, yeah. I like the taste of it and everything. But I don't know, I don't know that I'm there yet mm-hmm. in terms of. Um, I think there's something to it, um, but I, I'm kind of just sticking to my guns in and around sort of just the, the reverse osmosis piece right. because we know we're just with the reverse osmosis we're cleaning up all the crap, but we're also getting out the good stuff too, right? The minerals mm-hmm. and electrolytes and stuff and. Um, that's an important piece to, uh, you know, you can't just sit there and drink three liters of reverse osmosis water every day and think right. you're, you're doing your due diligence. I mean, you're keeping all the crap out, but you got to replenish, uh, that water, maybe hit it up with some electrolytes. So basically it's those electrolytes that help all those nutrients get across that, that fatty right. phospholipid bilayer. Like it's a gradient, right? So you need those electrolytes to get things in and out. Right. So, um, yeah, reverse osmosis water with some uh, electrolytes well, yes, dumped well, in it. And, yeah, it's neat because you're thinking of these things as little batteries, right? And we know that water right. is a conductor of electricity, so obviously having good water, you're going to help mitochondria communicate within a cell. So, you know, your liver cells are communicating together, your brain cells, so you want everything to be functioning well. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, good water. I, I mean, I think it's just foundational. So, it's like, and it's funny how it's, it's interesting going back to, like, this whole, my whole interest in, like, ele- the elements as medicine. But, yeah, like, looking at, the air that we breathe, obviously, so oxygen is, is important, 
very important, crucial to this whole process, but the type of water, the type of light you're getting, so fire. Mm-hmm. Just interesting seeing how the elements that we evolved with are essentially what are going to help us. Yeah, at a cellular maintain, level. Yeah, right? help us at a cellular level. And so light's a, you know, light's a significant one that we can talk to that are certain easy things you can do from a perspective of um, uh, really helping that circadian rhythm out and helping with that autophagy playing out better. So like recycling those broken bits of cells. Um, so it's that light stimulation in the morning and it's dimming those lights at night, right? Because it goes back to that whole melatonin thing. So melatonin is released from the pineal gland, which is sort of that master gland that says, Hey, you know, there's this dim light reflex that we have. And when, you know, the sun starts going down, the body starts to respond and create this sort of cascade of melatonin release. And it has all this downstream action, but the melatonin really is, um, probably one of the most potent antioxidants within the mitochondria itself it is, eh? and how it, pr- it protects from oxidative damage and initiates more production of glutathione, which is essentially the, you know, the, the, the big gun of mm. antioxidants in the body. So melatonin doesn't just make us sleepy. It also really functions to, to protect I that see. mitochondria and right. to initiate, uh, more antioxidants in the system. Yeah, no, I mean, I think light's super important, and I just notice it personally when I wear my glasses. I'll even put a link in the show notes to those glasses because I think, um, I know there was an article recently in CBC uh, in the health section in regards to blue light blocking glasses being kind of a hoax, and I think their their article wasn't totally scientifically flawed. I just, it's a good actual opportunity to kind of talk about this because they were correct to say that there's no link to looking at blue lights and macular degeneration. That's essentially what the article is saying. But from that, the title and everything kind of poo-pooed on the whole blue light blocking glasses in its total, in, in, in its entirety. And however, that's not necessarily true because as we've talked about melatonin, uh, suppression can occur after staring at a screen or blue light source for all day. So I just want to throw that out there because, uh, before we segue off, so yeah, I'll put a link in show notes, to the uh, pair of RA optics that I use and look so cool in. Yeah, you, you're looking pretty psychedelic <laughs> when you I like walked them. in. Where yeah. the heck did they go? Anyways, I'll just suffer with poor sleep tonight and poor mito- mito- mitochondria function. But um, what else can we talk about in regards to mitochondria? I know we can touch more on um, things of microbiome or what else um, did you have specifically that you thought was important to talk about? Um, well, there's a few things that I, I kind of want to hit on still. So... Uh, from this initiating hormesis or like stressing ourselves just enough is this something called intermittent hypoxic training. So basically learning how to hold your breath. Yeah. I'm right? glad you brought that up. That's um, um, So essentially that's teaching our blood to extract oxygen more efficiently from the lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, so wh- when we do that, you know, there, what we think is happening here is that we're increasing mitochondrial size um, and that it's directly protecting mitochondrial function right? and just by you know, increasing oxygenation mm-hmm. to the cell by holding our breath, which is right. kind of counterintuitive. You're always taken, told like, take a deep breath and like, right. <sighs> just like breathe it out and let it go. But it's actually like, hold it in, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you want to yeah. increase uh, or the, the way in which you regulate carbon dioxide is, is super important to this whole right. process, right? Right. So by basically holding your breath, you're, you're kind of sending the cells into this little panic mode. Like, oh shit, we better like use... Use what we got here, yeah, boys. Use this. Yeah, be Let's more go, be more right? efficient at using yeah. oxygen. So therefore, yeah. you need less. So therefore, we're functioning with less. Yeah, and that's obviously super important stuff. And that's why I think breath work again is is starting to become a little bit more 
well practice in like say your yoga spaces and things like that. You're so yoga has been doing it for well, of course, amazing, traditionally right? speaking. But I think it, it got away from. I guess where I'm going is that it kind of got away, or at least I believe it got away from that in the kind of trendiness of well, yoga. Of course, yeah. But now we're seeing kind of yeah return to to breath work, even even in more of a mainstream. Yes. Focus in different types. Yeah. Obviously, Wim, the Wim Hof method being yep. super popular and things like that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's we got just Wim awesome Hof. Pranayama is yep. basically right. this. Um, and there's uh, by, to- by Tycho. Tycho. Yeah, yeah that's, right. That's, that's kind of one I. Into. Yeah, that's right. one I'm into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's um what specifically is is different? I mean, I know there's a whole process, or but is there? I know he does a lot more breathing in and out through the nose. I believe. Yeah, just because of how that directs it to certain centers. Okay. Uh, um, directs the oxygen to certain centers in the brain, if I recall. Um, But basically it was just really, that was the one that I, the technique that I really started to dive into a little bit in terms of familiarizing myself with, you know, what's Mm. going on here, reading up on sort of the physiology of it and saying, ah, okay, this is pretty neat. This makes some sense. And, um, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, the, the Russian, Russian scientists have been into this for a long, long time. And so it's, it just, yeah, it was just they, one of those. They things. always research things properly. Yeah. I think when it comes to like, well, at least in the in the world of fitness, I think most things that I've ever yeah. used that works with clients has been figured out in the 1970s right. Soviet Union, right? So, right. God bless them for their human experimentation yeah. in that regard. Sorry, guys are banned from the Olympics. No, and again, it's just like the the first the stoned ape theory. That ape that ate that first magic mushroom. It's just like kudos to those warriors and those nice. those pioneers for being so courageous, right? We need we need folks like that, and uh, yeah, we've learned a lot from it. <laughs> yeah, and so the Buteco is the one that I I sort of subscribe to, or, or Pranayama too, just because I've been, you know, doing yoga for so long and have had good teachers that have mm-hmm. focused on breath work before you get into sort of the the, the stretching and the movement. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, Wim Hof's kind of the, uh, you know, he's so hot right now. He's so hot right now, yeah. He's actually really cold. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> the ice man. No, that's uh, well said. And you know what I was, I was... <sighs> And again, trying to maybe maybe trying too hard to make some type of weird abstract connection between uh, breath work and the euphoria that can come when you do uh, many of these like different holotropic type breath works and the altered states of consciousness that can arise from them. I don't know if there's I don't really see the connection I'm trying to go. I'm just kind of thinking like, are we tapping into the consciousness of the mitochondria and we're just like over oxygenating because of like right since since we're becoming more sensitive to oxygen and we're getting these euphoric states. I'm just curious, is this what it feels like to be a mitochondria that just crawled out of the sea and started sucking on so much oxygen first? It's just like, interesting, right? Maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. And so, yeah, maybe I went way too far with that one. (laughs) Maybe you're getting the edge. Yeah, I'm getting the edge. Okay. We're getting near the hour. So I'm going to push, you got to find your wild edges. That's the the theme of the show. You got to know where the wild edges are. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause now we're like hyper-focusing on this mitochondria piece. And, and, you know, if we think back even 20 years ago or 25 years ago, like, uh, it's a little bit you know, out there to be kind of re- reducing it to something like that. So sure. where's science going to take this? Well, next, it's, a sna- right? it's a snapshot in time. Our mitochondria look the way they do now. Obviously, with the way we started, it's this one billion year process. It's, I mean, we're talking about science that's really a snapshot in time. And this, these things will evolve. And I mean, hopefully so they'll evolve. We're, gonna go, like, we're going really, really micro here. And we're going to go into like, you know, this quantum yeah. sort of subatomic place. And it's going to just kind of reverse back into like, well, it's all the big stuff again. Right. right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's really interesting. Layers. Um, it is layers. Micro and the macro. Right. Yeah. Layers to it for sure. Um, any other uh, things I, I like where you went with in regards to 
breath work because that's obviously important. So these are the things you can do, right? Yeah. Light, breath, mm -hmm. water, cold exposure, heat exposure. Um, doesn't take a lot of technology. These are the things that help build resilience right. in the mitochondria and, you know, more energy. It means exactly. you can do more stuff. You can be more engaged and you don't have to feel like you're 70 when you're 50. Exactly, which is just not right. It's just something that, again, we're accepting, I think, as, oh, just getting old, right? And yeah, and, yeah, and I hear you as, as I get older and approach 40. It's it's something that I've kind of made commitment to myself, seeing some of the science and then knowing how I feel when I'm doing some of these things like walking barefoot and how I can just kind of de-stress my day or, or whatever it is. I, I'm totally committed to to this, and I know that everything must die. I'm not looking to live to 150 I'd like, I'd like to hit a solid 100, that's for sure. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, be, you know, aging gracefully, I guess, right? Not looking to be some huge longevity, you know, buff living to 150. But I don't know, what do, what do you think? Is that kind of your take on, on aging, I guess? Since yeah, from my own personal take on it is, yeah, well, how can I be just more engaged, resilient, and, and you know, feeling the flow of life as I age? Right? Mm. And, and, you know, I'm not necessarily going to be doing you know what i'm doing now when i'm 85 but you know on some spectrum i am right hopefully and yeah it's just really about being engaged not about living forever but it's really about um just maximizing the time you got yeah exactly yeah and that's just it as 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 you age and you see you know you have kids and kids have kids and things like that it's i don't know it, it's, it's I, the, all the things that we talked about here is taking care of yourself. And if you want to age well, then I just think that's so we're building resilience and part of um, being a leader is being resilient. So by building resilience, we can build leaders. And I feel like if we build resiliency, if you and I are doing this and then, you know, our kids or our nieces and nephews and, and future generations see us doing it, then we're essentially rebuilding leadership in our culture, which is something we really need right now. And then we have something to kind of strive towards and do so we're then making these lifestyle habits we're you know it's just neat to see kids nowadays um i mean i'm there's so many things that i think is is neat um kids eating sushi kids eating raw fish i mean i'm trying to think of other things that right. our kids are doing like i know of i know of uh friends who have kids who jump in ice baths and things like that right and it's yeah. just like my kids are like mm, give me some more propolis you know it's <laughs> yeah right yeah. it's pretty nasty tasting stuff but they're into it so right. yeah just seeing these so, shifts yeah, it's it's exciting. So yeah. So anyways, it gives me hope for the the rewilders out there. That's for sure. But uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, throw down on this one before we wrap it up? I mean, I don't know if there's any s other specific pieces. No, I think uh, there's a few other things that are sort of out there in terms of uh, how we can tie this into other sort of uh, shows, for, just like the relationship of the mitochondria to the microbiome. And I think we'll maybe save that for a, another day. Right. Yeah. And we didn't even touch on EMFs too much, which I'm kind of, again, talking about like current times with mitochondria health, these being batteries right. and obviously electromagnetic frequencies, um, essentially kind of screwing up cell communication and things like that. So maybe right. we, maybe we might even have to go deeper and put our, put our nerd glasses on one more time and go reduction yeah, of scientists again. Yeah. That. Um, but I know we had talked about doing like, um, just these little herbal spotlights once in a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's talk about uh, a plant here. That's a little specific to mitochondria and, and there's a lot out there that we could talk about, but I'm going to talk like about to, one specific. I would one. like to know one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Leonaris cardiaca, motherwort. Oh yeah. So it's, um, it's of the mint family. It, uh, grows around here like a weed. Okay. Um, really? And basically 
Leonardo's cardiaca, meaning lion's heart. Um, but uh, really good for sort of nervousness, anxiety, palpitations, right? It's like okay. a really heart-centered herbal med- uh, plant medicine. All right. Um, and the heart being chock full of mitochondria. Mm-hmm. The heart does a lot of work for us. It does. Um, and so it's really, it's just basically a relaxing nervine. But there was just, it, it's cool because there was actually one little study that they did on rats. I know we're okay. not. Oh, rats. no, not a rat study. Yeah, a rat study. Not a rat study. Am I allowed to talk about those? I don't know, actually. I said, you're the first one. And, you're, and it surprised me that you're the first one to bring up a rat study of all people. Well, I, I, <laughs> no, no, go I ahead. Think you think I love rats or you, something? You no, know, I know. Well, just because I don't think you resort to too much science on rats. But I'm curious. No, there's there's good science on rats. Well, a lot of, a lot of botanical... Uh, okay. Evidence out there is sort of anything that's emerging starts there. It always right? does, right? No, so, of course. I'm just saying, you know, the 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 correlation or the yeah, drawing the. So the they're links. basically just looking at constituents in the plant, right? Okay. Just trying to again, right. reductionist. Yep. Right? Um, so how they do things. Yeah, basically, what I want to say about that, yeah, rat study is not my favorite place to go necessarily, right. um, because traditionally, you know, Leonardo's has been used for basically as a, a tonic, not a tonic, but a heart medicine to relax chill people out, right? Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, and relieve the negative effects of stress, which we've talked about how right. they affect the mitochondria and the, and the heart having that whole thing. And so going reductionist with this whole rat thing is they just looked at, mm-hmm. well, what's what are some of the things in this plant that, you know, make it a heart medicine? Right. And so there's some things like quercetin, orientin, okay. hyperoside, rutin. These are just like polyphenols, just like right. antioxidants essentially that help uh, quench free radicals in the mitochondria of the heart right tissue in rats in rats <laughs> in rats well that's uh and you're saying it grows everywhere around here well it's it's common around here say yes. say the name again motherwort motherwort okay well no the srs cardiaca okay yeah no motherwort well there we have it i like that and did your uncle milan teach you that one was that I tell him everything he wants to know about plants. Everything he knows he's going to tell you, I teach at him. Okay. Well, see, I I knew you had to get that somewhere. Thank you, Uncle Milan, for for coming, just randomly popping into the room here. Gosh, we'll have to do a full-on show with with Uncle Milan maybe once. I like it. I like it. Okay. Well, folks, I think uh, with that said, we might have to end every episode that you're on with Uncle Milan now now that you're doing this. But anyways, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all your knowledge on that subject. Uh, it is something that I am interested in, and I see it as important or foundational, I guess, if we're going to dive into the topic of rewilding. So you did a great job. Five gold stars. You get you get those today. So, all right on. Thank so, you. So, so yeah, thank you, Richard. And thank you very much to everybody listening out there. If you could do a huge favor, and if you haven't already, please leave a rating and a review for the show because... That will help others find the show, and it will help me make the show better. So I appreciate it very, very much. And until next time, stay wild. Thank you for listening to the Rewild My Bio podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate it if you shared the show with your friends, if, of course, you think they would like it. You can also visit rewildmybio.com to download previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter. In the newsletter, I share blogs and bonus content from my health promotion research, along with practical tips to help you rewild in a modern world. 
Please follow along on Instagram and Facebook at RewildMyBio and on Twitter at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay wild.